Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again today. And thank you for tuning in with us. Today, I would like to welcome the panel. And I'll start with uh, Will. Thank you very much for joining us. I know after uh, absence of quite a few weeks now, it's very good to have you back with us. Good to be back. Thanks. And Len, thank you for uh, being part of this panel also. Well, it's always a pleasure. And welcome to the program, listeners. Helen, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's good to be here also. And Ken, always like to have you on and people already making some comments about that uh, very nice uh, Irish accent. Great to be here, Nick. And uh, I don't know if they're waiting for some Irish jokes, but you never know what comes up. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And Brenton, um, it's our facilitator for uh, today. Thank you very much, Brenton, for preparing this uh, Bible study. And uh, I will just uh, hand the microphone right to you now. Thank you, Nick. And it is a real pleasure to be here today. It's actually exciting to be opening the Word of God and studying this particular subject. Last week, you might remember, we talked about the three angels' messages. This week, we're dealing with the subject which follows from that, called the seven last plagues. Yes, they are serious, and we will look at them in detail. But before we do any of that, I want um, us to open our Bibles to Revelation 14 and verse 9. But we will have prayer just before we we commence um, looking at this text. Father in heaven, these are the last warnings, according to the Bible, that are to be given to this earth before our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ returns in the clouds of heaven. He has given this warning because he loves us, not for any other reason. He wants as many of this world's population as possible to be saved in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I pray earnestly this morning for our group as we share from the word of God. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher and may the Holy Spirit touch the hearts of those who are listening today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Could someone read for me Revelation 14 and verse 10? Because the seven last plagues, as we call them, are relevant to what uh, is about to be read. Len, would you like to read that one for us? Thank you. Yes. Len? It's talking about the people who received the mark of the beast and says, He too, anyone who's got the mark of the beast, will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. Thank you, Len. What do we understand this text to actually mean? What, First of all, what is the, ro- the wine of God's wrath? Well, I would say it's the punishment that the wicked people, those who've not accepted the merits of Jesus Christ to save them, will receive at God's hand. Mm, thank you. Helen, did you have a comment on that? Um, yeah, I would like to say that when we read through this study that we are doing today, it, it talks about plagues, you know, mm-hmm. as being poured yes. out because of the wrath of God. Now, I think we have to remember that plagues represent the end of God's long suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. He's been long suffering to all of us, actually. And, you know, He, it will be the end because He doesn't want to see any more sin or He doesn't want to tolerate murder anymore. None of us want that, do we? 
No. You know, no. And, and no more will he have to watch his children being raped or disfigured or killed by, you know, drunken drivers. And, and it's the end of it. You know, the goal of the plagues is clear. God is done with the evil. Mm. But let's remember that God is in control and he is love. He is long-suffering. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Glenn? I can understand that God has given a warning through the book of Revelation that this will happen. There have been questions about why God will punish the wicked. Is it because he is uh, wanting to teach them a lesson? Is it God being vindictive? Or is it God being just? Mm -hmm. I suppose people who do wrong would like to get away without there being any punishment. But I think in this case it's God being just that those who are wicked really deserve punishment. Mm -hmm. Yes, before we come to you, Helen Will had a comment. Thank you, Will. I think there are thousands upon thousands of souls through the ages that are calling out for the vengeance of God against the terrible atrocities that have been acted against those that have sought righteousness. And it shouldn't seem strange to us that God uh, answers that request or intercedes or moves in to actually take charge uh, against those people that are doing evil. It's a natural progression. Mm. Ken, did you have a comment? I I think one of the other things we we have to understand is that uh, as we look at the world around us today, evil is just increasing and wickedness is just increasing at an amazing uh, pace. And obviously God does not want this to go on. It's not good for anybody. But God has given us clear warnings that uh, at some stage in the future, the very close future, all this is going to come to an end with the return of Jesus. Yes, Helen, you had a further comment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I just want to say that I don't believe it was God's goal to inflict suffering. But I think it's God's goal. He wants to liberate the people. He wants to free us. And we'll see the link up with that with the when they were in um, Egypt. But I'd also like to say it is a choice. You've just had Len read out from uh, Revelation 14, and it was 9 and 10. Mm-hmm. And it's a choice. God has given a warning, mm-hmm. very clear warning. And we each have that choice to make. Mm-hmm. And, and we should be making it now. You know, which group do you want to be in? And I think that will come clearer as we go. And and God will not force anyone. By issuing a warning, God actually removes the charge of vindictiveness from himself. He has warned people what is going to happen if they choose to not heed that warning. That is not God being vindictive. That is people simply following their own, uh, shall we say, stubborn will. And we're going to look at that as we get to the plagues because the issue seems to be, to me, as we look at the plagues, is that these people are totally intransigent. They are beyond the pale. They are beyond the point that they can repent or even want to repent. Is that a fair comment? Mm. I, I think yes. I think in the aircraft industry we used to call it there was a point of no return point of before no you return, aborted yes. you know, the yeah. flight. And, yeah. and I think this is what we see here. You know, people make their decision. Um, God is, doesn't want to throw them out. He doesn't want anybody to perish. But he is literally saying, I acknowledge your choice, mm. and he will draw from them. Yes, really, he is saying, well, you have made your decision. I think there's a term that we sometimes use, and you've probably used it yourself or heard it used. So-and-so has made their bed. Now they're going to have to lie on it. <laughs> mm. 
Okay, well, let's, before we get into the plays, let's have a look at the first couple of verses of chapter 15 of Revelation. Uh, mm. 15. Um, Helen, would you like to read just down to verse 4 for us, please? And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Then I saw in heaven... By the way, that's 15, verse 1 to 4. Mm, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> then I saw in heaven another marvellous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them, and they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvellous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Now, this is an absolutely fascinating verse, yeah. isn't it? Will, do you have a comment on this? For it's us? interesting for me to see that, um, that the whole unsettling chapter on the plagues starts first with a vision or a picture positive. of uh, of the redeemed uh, what an incentive that is for us to first look at christ for salvation and then after that consider what judgments are up to follow upon the world mm. say, hands it's, everywhere. it's a picture of worship <laughs> isn't it yes i mean we don't often think of that you know and even as we go through and we look at the the angels that were holding it and how they looked in their white robes and, and came from the temple it really is about worship mm. Mm. Uh, before I come to Len, Helen, can I just touch on the point that you made? Mm. What is the worship based on? It's the statement that is made right at the end of verse 4. Righteous deeds are being revealed. You know, God is vindicated. God they is worshipped on the, the basis of, of the fact that he's seen to be totally fair. When yes. we go to a court of law, we expect justice and fairness to be transacted, don't we? Len, you had a comment. I have an <coughs> NIV. Mm. And it says in verse 1, and it speaks about seven plagues, last, because with them God's wrath is completed. I like that. Now, I see this in two ways. Number one, God is leaving his wrath, if you like, to the very last. Otherwise, we'd all be goners. True. The second issue is it says God's wrath is completed. This, as far as I'm concerned, knocks in the head this idea of God going to keep people living for eternity being tortured in hell. It talks about God's wrath being completed. Mm. Thank you, Len. That is a very good point. When you read in the Bible passages like this one in Revelation, people are tended to just skip it because, you know, thinking, oh, that's irrelevant because God is a loving God and cannot, you know, this doesn't fit with God. What we need to understand is that God is a merciful God and through the grace of God, everyone on this earth has opportunity to come to him and to repent. But God, as was mentioned so far, in his righteousness and God is going to bring it to an end. And it's not that was planned from before as pointed out but it's because of our transgressions and because of our attitude and you Helen mentioned about Egypt 
Now, those people, they were given so many chances to repent and come back to God. And they got so stubborn in their own uh, doings that God could not have any other chance but just to pour the mm. wrath of God mm. upon those Helen, people. You, thank you, Nick. Helen, you had your... Yes, you just mentioned at the start, Nick, you know, how, how can this relate, you know, God is loving. But doesn't isn't there a text in Isaiah that said these are his strange acts? Doesn't it call it a strange act of mm. God? Yeah. It does. Okay, so what we've touched on is an acknowledgement by this group of people who it says sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Now that's an interesting one. We do have recorded in the scriptures the song of Moses. We do not have recorded in the scriptures the song of the Lamb. But this seems to be a combination of both. But I want you just to go back briefly to the book of Exodus to chapter 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I would like Exodus chapter 15 <coughs> verse 11 to 13 to read because this, I believe, is, shall we say, an Old Testament example of the experience of these people who are now standing on the sea of glass. Ken, would you like to read sure. those verses for us? Thanks. I'm reading from the King James Version, starting in verse 11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises? doing wonders. Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast let forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength under thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. The key verse was the one you just read earlier on. It said that God would do what? He had redeemed them and he would bring them to his holy habitation. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask the panel a question. Is this what we're studying in Revelation chapter 15? Have these people been through an experience that in some ways is similar to the experience of Israel going through the Red Sea? They are now standing on the sea of glass singing a similar song in some respects to the, to the song that Moses and the children of Israel sang, this time they are redeemed permanently. They're not redeemed just to go into an ordinary land called the land of Canaan. They're in the heavenly Canaan. Len, did you have a comment? I hope I'm there to sing this song. Likewise. The song of redemption to have been plucked from the clutches of the evil one. Yeah, Moses brings them out of a physical exodus. Uh, Jesus Christ as the Saviour brings them out of a spiritual exodus, uh, the uh, relief and the release from the bondage of sin. Helen? As they were freed, it was the blood of the Lamb that they were saved, wasn't it? The blood of the Lamb, when the angel of death came over in that story of the, the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. And it's through the blood of the Lamb that we are saved. There is a parallel. You know, they were standing at the edge waiting and God parted the sea. Mm. We are standing at the edge of eternity and God is going to part the clouds, the sky. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. As he comes mm-hmm. to take us home. And he saw that those people were free and they were taken to the yes. earthly home. Mm-hmm. And praise God, if we are right now with him and we continue to be covered by his blood and accept him we too will be transported mm. to our heavenly kingdom I think there is all such of a us, parallel thank you. I think mm. all of us would agree with Len when he said we want to be amongst those oh, who stand on the sea of glass singing the song of Moses and the Lamb good news folk mm. <laughs> <Sure is. laughs> wonderful news yeah. Okay, Ken did you have a comment 
thought I saw your hand go. Well, I, uh, I just thinking that uh, there's a, an old saying in the world that history repeats itself, and this, when you look at it, certainly uh, I think is very similar in so many ways that things are repeated again from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Thank you. Will, would you like to read verse 7 and 8 for us? Because then we come to, shall we say, the situation that we find when we now start looking at the seven last plagues. Verses 7 and 8 are particularly crucial because they set the setting, and then we can discuss that a little bit before we get into the seven last plagues. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who lived forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. There are some very, very vital points that need to be made in these particular verses. Verse 8 is talking about smoke and a temple. Len, I think I thought I saw your hand up just briefly. Could you explain to us, Len, exactly what took place in the Old Testament sanctuary in regard to this business of smoke and incense, etc.? Okay, well, in the uh, earthly temple or sanctuary, there were two compartments. The first com- compartment in there was the uh, menorah, the seven-branched candlestick. candlestick. Mm-hmm. There was the table of showbread and there was the altar of incense. The altar of incense, uh, there was a censer where inside were coals and on top was put some resinous substance that let smoke out. And this was waved in, if you like, to win the favour of God, if I can put it that way. It's a bit of a crude way to say it but to win the favour of God before the curtain which separated the first compartment from the second, the Holy of Holies, as it was called. In this case, things are a little bit different. The smoke fills the whole temple, and it says that no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues were uh, finished. It tells me that the operations of the temple are suspended. In other words, forgiveness will no longer happen. It'll be the end of forgiveness. This is the point which is reached where God said, enough is enough. It's time to wind this whole thing up. Mm. And I believe this is what that's referring to. Thank you, Len. That's a very articulate way of presenting it. Helen, not... Just when Len mentioned, you know, the end of forgiveness, to me that's the close of probation. What so where does the... If I can just... Mean, so the wrath of God then is justified when probation is closed. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Everybody is going to take part in a judgment, are they not? Mm-hmm. And to me that's like Len said, you know, it's closed. That's it. Finished. But it reminds me of Noah... You know, when Noah was telling people to get into the ark and, and they made a choice and, and then the door of the ark was shut. But, but did the floods come immediately? No. no. There was, what, seven days, was it, that they were waiting? And people outside just kept on living as they were. And that's the same. We do not know when probation closes. 
and that's why we need to be in tune with True. him right right this minute mm. you know god promised noah he would take him through the flood he's promised us he will take us through right to the end he promised the three hebrews he would take them through mm. the fire you know so and where they brought through yes absolutely mm. so we can trust god mm. and trust absolutely. his promises mm. and now he's in control i i just think that this is a, an incredibly serious and important time for people because we are aware that probation, in other words, the opportunity to seek Jesus is coming to an end. And once that happens, you do not have a second chance. It's finished. Mm. Isn't that a dangerous theory that unfortunately circulates in Christian circles these days is that it doesn't really matter what you do because there will be a second chance. But there are some people that believe this is the time of the rapture. That they're given that seven, seven, you know, seven is, there is very any important. Suggestion of that in what no, we're no, it isn't, you know, and that's why I used the example of Noah, mm. because once that door was shut, mm. no man could open it. Not Noah from inside, not the people from outside. Mm. And I believe it's the same here with the smoke mm. in the temple is saying it's shut. It's Probation shut. has mm. closed. In fact, my wife was talking to a Christian lady the other day who believes in second chance. Second chance is a load of rubbish. In Revelation 22, which we are yet to deal with in the studies on air, in verse uh, 10, uh, sorry, verse 11 says, Let him does, who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. Uh, in another version it says, Let him who is righteous remain righteous still. Let him who is unrighteous remain unrighteous. There is a point which needs to be recognised that God will shut the door, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're dealing with today in Revelation 16 with seven plagues is referring to the time when God has shut the door. Yes. Yes. Be aware that before that, and we don't know the time, you said, you know, God isn't a God of second chances at this point. He's not a God of second chances. Mm -hmm. That's it. But prior to that, right now... We have the chance. God allows us to U-turn right now. If you're living in mm. sin and you're, mm. you're doing things that you know you ought not to be doing, you can invite God right into your life now. Now is the day of salvation. Mm. That's the God of the second mm. chance. But at this point, which Len is correctly talking about, the door will be shut and mm. then there is no second chances. Mm. Is that right? That's Nick, what I believe. Nick? Yeah, I just want to read a, a, a passage in the Bible from... Uh, Psalms 95 and he says this in verse um, 7 last part of verse 7 into verse 8 today if you will hear his voice do not harden your heart mm-hmm. as in the days of rebellion mm-hmm. what that means for us in the context of the plagues that even Pharaoh in Egypt he hardened his heart people today they have a lot of chances an opportunity to answer God right now. But there were people who hardened their heart. Who else hardened his heart? Mm-hmm. Lucifer right himself. Back to was, heaven, Satan. You know, yeah. Satan himself. Mm. He had chances, but he hardened his heart. Mm. And what happens now here is we are in the great conflict of ages in between evil and good. And God is the one who had to make the decision of separation in between this. Mm. Thank you, Nick. Ken, I yeah. believe you had a comment. Yes, I, I just wanted to add something. Uh, I believe that our 
sometimes people out there who, shall we say, are sitting on the fence, they don't want to do anything, but they're thinking to themselves, well, look, I'm going to wait and see if things get any worse in the world, and then I'll make a decision. What they don't realise is they might not be here to make a decision. None of us know if we have tomorrow, Mm -hmm. so today is the day to accept the Lord. That is a good point. Will, did you have a comment? Yes, of course, on Ken's point there, um, looking to some future event and uh, organizing our life or directing our life around that situation is very dangerous indeed because today or tomorrow our lives may come to an end, an unexpected end, and that puts us right into trouble. In summary, uh, from chapter 15, verses 1 to 8, let me just make a few brief comments. Only twice in the Old Testament was the temple filled with smoke. Firstly, in the time of the tabernacle, when uh, God instructed Moses to build him a tabernacle, when God's glory entered that tabernacle, it is stated that the priests could not minister there because God's glory had entered it. The second time was the building of Solomon's temple, which you find in First Kings chapter 8. You find again that... God's glory entered the temple to such a degree that everyone had to leave. What you've got here is a reverse. You've actually got the heavenly sanctuary, and Len, you quite rightly articulated that earlier on. You have the heavenly sanctuary filled with smoke because nobody is there anymore. That means there is no intercessor, no Jesus Christ to intercede for you, to plead his blood on your behalf. All of that is over. Now we move from that scenario into the seven plagues. In other words, the seven plagues fall on people who are totally unprotected by God's mercy or God's grace. Is that a fair comment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter if they were given another million years. Wouldn't make a difference. It wouldn't would it? make any difference. God mm. knows that. Mm-hmm. It's a natural progression to, uh, to go straight from the filling of the temple with smoke to the seven plagues. Mm because uh, verse 8 of uh, Revelation 15 says, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. So that's a natural progression. It's it happening is. Just it is, uh, Will. Uh, well put. Let's just, just before we move on, I would like to just bring back a little bit... Uh, we studied in the past weeks about uh, the falling away of the church, you know, apostate church, mm-hmm. and we talked about the Antichrist. And last week we touched on the everlasting gospel, that God is very intentional, and through his children on this earth, through us here or many other people in different forms, were invited to really proclaim the true gospel, to reach the whole world before the coming of Jesus Christ. Mm. And every opportunity is given for the inhabitants of this earth to acknowledge God and to make themselves right with God. But now, moving to these seven last plagues, it's very important that people need to realize that God is not going to stop here. God is going to finish his work. And we are not going to just stay uh, relaxed back and say, okay, you know what? I know that God is a, a God of love and he wouldn't punish. I'm trying to find the right words, but it's very hard because people having so many chances today, they're still choosing to ignore and to go with their daily 
living like in the days of Noah, just marrying and giving up in marriage and building up things and pull down things and not come to understand that our most important thing on this earth is the preparation of ourselves to meet God as Abraham did when he left his country, lived for the rest of his life following God. There is a text that I want to read before we go through the seven plagues, and we will go through them, I promise. <laughs> but I would like someone to read Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11 for me. Will, I wondered if you could do that one for me. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 11. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. All right, summarizing those two verses, if you were to summarize them, what would you say? Does God actually send people a lie or does he allow them to believe deception when they refuse to accept the truth? What do you think? <laughs> well, I think that... Uh if people persist in believing lies, he's going to leave them right there and cease to try and force them into change. Hmm. Okay. Lynn? I think this uh, expression has a parallel in the expression, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Good point. I think it basically simply means not that the Lord took an active role in hardening Pharaoh's heart or makes people deluded, but allows them to remain deluded. Mm. Good point. If we had time, and we haven't, to look at the ten plagues of Egypt, because some of the plagues that we're now looking at parallel, don't they, the plagues of Egypt. But if we were to look at the ten plagues of Egypt, you will find two things. The first five plagues, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Of the next five, one of them says Pharaoh's heart was hard. The other four say that uh, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I interpret that to mean, and certainly it's in line with Jewish thinking, that what God does not prevent, he allows. Mm -hmm. Pharaoh had reached a point where it wouldn't have mattered what God brought to bear in, so in front of him. He would still remain impenitent and um, in re recalcitrant, if you want to use that particular term. Just to <coughs> add on that, uh, yes. Brenton, because I agree with what you just said, because God knows from the beginning everything. God knew where Pharaoh is. Even though when he tried to allow the Israelites to live, was he allowing that because he was softening his heart? Or was that still in, in, the ad, in his advantage? He was not trying to change his heart and repent and acknowledge that God is the one who will take Israel out of the Egypt. Yeah. And that's the, the real issue, you, because when God says he hardened his heart, means that, okay, now let this be fulfilled or come to fruition, if you like. Mm. Yeah, Lynn. In the first of the Ten Commandments, God instructed humanity not to have any other gods before him. It has been said, and here is a comment, that the sun melts butter, and hardens clay and sometimes that can describe people's hearts if a person's heart is hard the more sun the more truth that is shone upon their heart the harder they become if their heart is soft by virtue of the Holy Spirit 
they are brought to a point where they surrender to the Lord. Let's have a look at these uh, bowls. The first plague found in chapter 16, verse 2. Uh, Ken, would you like to read that one? Yes, and we're reading from the King James Version. Mm. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a lonesome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. Now let me ask a question before we get into the um, these plagues in, in real problem. Are these plagues worldwide or are they localised? Mm. Who are the men who worship the beast in his image, according to Revelation 13? Well, it's a worldwide issue. Correct. I, I want to comment here a little Thank bit you. because the first four plagues as we can see, one mentioning the, you know, to pouring the, the wrath of God on the earth and the next one to pour it on the earth and on the sea. Mm-hmm. This describes that the first four plagues would not be universal, would be just on uh, different locations. And why is that? Because in the, in the verse, uh, verse 2 from chapter 16 says, So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth and upon the man who had the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. Well, weren't they exclusively on the, the worshippers of the beast? Yes, that's about it starts. Yes. Yeah, mm. and that's... Quite yeah. clear. And, uh, let, let, let Otherwise, everybody would be wiped out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. good point. Yeah. Also, with punishment, now here's a, here's a good point just for us to think about. Uh, Len has been a teacher in the past. I've never taught students. But with punishment, when you issue punishment, the punishment has to be given time to show whether it produces repentance or whether the person is just continuing on in their same old style. Do you understand what I'm saying? Punishment has to be given an opportunity to be effective. Now, here this group have this terrible sore and interestingly enough the bible calls it it's similar to the boils that affected the egyptians in the egyptian plagues isn't it will Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so you've got that particular scenario but when you get down to the plague number five it says they are still suffering from the sores that they had in number one so uh, let's go on to the second bowl so the first one it's specifically poured out as someone said on the beast those who worship the beast and his image and Len has identified that as being all those who have not accepted the Lord now let's go to number two um, Will could you read number two for us please and then we'll go round and the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died well, I think we've had a little up. bit of a um, taste of it thank you there is um, an algae. Um, we have green algae developing in stagnant fresh water. But I believe there is a, a red algae that develops in salt water. And just like the green algae, and m- most people have heard about what's happened along the Darling River with all these fish dying, Yes. the lack of oxygen. I'm not saying it's a red algae that this blood of a dead man is, but it but we makes me think that it's very similar, mm. that um, just sea life dies because of this algae, Lack if it oxygen. is algae. Mm. They mm. had an incident, I can't remember the year, but Florida, 
yes, if you go and you did. Google it, did. Uh, Florida's Red Sea, and it mm. was right up the yeah. coast, and that, that was from the red yeah. algae. Yeah. Mm. So what you've got so far, you've got the worshippers of the beast and his image who have this terrible sore or boil on them. It seems as though, just by describing it here, it seems as though medical intervention doesn't have any effect upon this particular sore. Secondarily, now we come to the second plague, we find that the springs of water or the waters themselves, the sea, is turned into blood. And as Len says, whether it's red algae or whether it's something else, we don't know because this is unfulfilled prophecy. However, can you just imagine the ocean full of dead fish full of dead creatures that normally lived in it worldwide. Where are you going to get water from to drink? question has been asked um, whether it is localised mm -hmm. or whether it is universal. There are people that would think that if the entire world's oceans and um, rivers were turned into blood, uh, man would not live without water for more than three or four days. Mm -hmm. Does this talk, as uh, we interpret Daniel chapter 2 and the image there, does it, is it talking about a localized empire, a localized uh, situation? I mean, what about nations, for example, that are far, far away, um, the Shinto believers, uh, Muslims in distant countries, does, are they all affected by this? The, theologians wrestle with this thing. They do. However, they do. I want to say that uh, the plagues are real. For us to interpret exactly their locations is perhaps dangerous because we really don't know. We really don't know. Mm. What the text gives us some uh, information, it's about talking about here about the earth, the sea and the rivers. And we identify that in the past studies that what that represents. And that was in the context of the Christians. For example, uh, when we talked about the Protestant Reformation, you know, we identify that as the uh, United States, for example, because it was, it come from a, from the land, you know, which was a small nation. But having in mind this prophetic interpretation, we understand that God is focusing to, if you like, on the people who had all the chances in the world before. I stand on a promise that was given. He said, your bread and your water will be sure. Mm. And I believe that that will affect those that are redeemed, those that have given their hearts yeah. to the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, Will said, or somebody said, where would you get the water from? Mm. I, I leave that with God, mm. you know, yeah, because yeah. he has assured me my mm. bread and water are going to be sure. Also the we have term nothing world, to fear on that one. Thanks, Helen. Also, the term yeah. worldwide means worldwide in extent. It doesn't mean every single person. Let's move on to the third bowl where it talks about the waters being turned into blood and the springs, the rivers and all the rest of it. Um, it's interesting that there is a comment made in verse 5. Len, would you like to read chapter 16, verse oh, 5? I'm really happy to. Can I read verse 4 as well? Mm, you may. The third angel <clears throat> poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of waters, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. Can I read six as well? Yes, you may. For they, talking about the people upon whom these judgments occur, 
for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. Mm. So here is a reason for God in giving this particular uh, punishment is showing, look, you have been responsible for killing righteous people in the past. Now it's your turn to see what that's like. Len, that is a very, very good point. Thank you for sharing that with us. We often say today in our legal system, we believe, I think all of us, that the punishment should fit the crime. Does the punishment fit the crime? The angel is saying, Lord, what can we say? They killed your prophets, they killed your people, and now you're giving them blood to drink. (laughs) I think it's interesting that this angel, (coughs) the, the angel before, affected the sea and this angel actually affects the, the fountains and, and the, the rivers, rivers you know. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, if people could see the sea, you know, with blood and they think it's okay, we're going to be fine. We've got all the fountains and the rivers and what have you. And it's like, no, that's no. not going to happen, you no, know. that's true. This is going extensively. I just wanted to add a little bit to that. I know slightly going off track here, but we've talked about these vials have been poured into the seas and the rivers and all that. And one of the things we haven't mentioned that obviously all the sea life is going to die. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the smell from that? That'll be horrendous. I was going to mention that, Ken, oh, but I'm glad you brought it up. No. <laughs> Len. With regard to what the angel in charge of the waters had to say, there's a, a, a sequence to that. Verse 7 says, And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just. just are your judgments. Now it's interesting that it uses the word altar. In other words, it's not just, if you like, a being, but it's a a non <laughs> a not living being. In other words, it's almost like saying, Yes, the trees, the mountains, everything understands mm. that God's people have been treated unjustly mm. by these mm. wicked people now they're getting their desserts. Yes, yes. Helen, quickly. Could that link back to what we were talking about in previous studies about the blood of the martyrs, you know, crying out from under the you, altar? You took the words out of my mouth. It says that the souls under the altar, and we know the term souls in the Bible refers to people, mm. are crying out and say, Lord, how long are how we going to ha- have to put up with the fact that we have been unjustly slain, tortured and murdered? Mm. How long before you do something about it? God is doing something about mm. it right now. Okay, moving on to number four. I like what Len has oh, said. sorry, though. Will. Um, <laughs> you know, it didn't say... I do agree with Helen that the souls under the altar are calling for recompense, but the choice of the word altar here tells and the altar and the sacrifice. It's as if justice itself yes. is calling yes. on on a... Um, God to do something. On a response. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Will. Uh, good point. Now we come to the fourth one. And the fourth one uh, has to deal with uh, nature. Uh, let's see, Helen, could you read that one for us? That is verse 8 and 9 of chapter 16 of Revelation. Yes, love to. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. Thank you. Brief comment on that one. Is this climate control? Is it climate change? <laughs> climate change, I meant. Uh, this might be the climate change yeah. knob turned up to full blast <laughs> and beyond. However, 
disregarding for a moment the intense heat that it's talking about, what I think we particularly need to focus on is the second part of chapter 9 where it says they blasphemed God and did not repent of their sins. This tells us that they are intransigent. They are totally total reprobates. There's absolutely nothing they can do. It seems in the first three that there's no mention actually made by the people affected by these plagues. They don't comment on whether it's God doing it or anyone else. But in the fourth one, they are now blaspheming God. Len, I think I saw your hand going. Yeah, up. well, I, I just wanted to make a little correction. Sure. I know we have these slips from time to time. You did say chapter 9, but it's verse oh, 9 of chapter my, 16. My apologies, yes. Len, my but, apologies. But I think this is very important. These people refuse to repent. Yes, refuse. Okay, they, they recognised the problem. They recognised who was causing the issue, but they would not turn to God. Well, I'm not surprised because the door had been shut. Yes, yes, we've touched on that, haven't we? Nick, you had a comment. Very, just very brief on, on what uh, Helen said, and she apologised for uh, saying um, climate change, not climate control. But actually, uh, I thought you were right saying climate control because man is involved in doing things which God didn't uh, plan uh, to, to do. And we know at uh, these times we live in, that climate engineering happens. And again, that's another sign of the rebellion of this uh, earth. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Moving on to the fifth bowl, it talks about darkness. Now, the darkness is specific. It's specific in a particular area. Will, what is it? Yes, the fifth angel <coughs> poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom uh, was plunged into darkness. Would you like to comment briefly on that? Well, the throne of the beast is obviously the very headquarters of the beast himself. Um, yeah, the location is uh, is pretty close, pretty localized. And what was the result of this darkness? Could it be not only physical darkness? Do you think it's also spiritual darkness? Of course. What, what do you think? Yeah, it is actually because we talked about that uh, um, the beast and the powers who combined, you know, to give uh, allegiance to the beast, they are sun worshippers. And it's interesting that it is mentioned here that the sun, in the previous uh, uh, plague, that the sun will be uh, affected, you know, and will scorch. And in the mm -hmm. end, mm -hmm. the, the throne of the beast itself will be dealt with. Good point, Nick. Uh, now, many Bible expositors <coughs> say that this refers to Rome. They do. And that could very well be, and that's what I accept it as. But here's the point. Why darkness? I see it this way. These people have chosen darkness. They have rejected the word of God, which is light, mm -hmm. and so darkness they get. Yeah. In other words, does the punishment fit the crime? It does. It yeah. does indeed. Hence the, term, hence the term, the dark ages when the Bible was withdrawn from, uh, from the people. And, of course, we know there is a text, isn't there, in the Old Testament that I can't think of, some of you may be able to help me, where it says a time will come when they will run from east to west looking for the word of the Lord and not being able to find it. In other words, there has, we have reached a point where truth can no longer um, be found. But if you, if you wanted to apply that literally... 
just just think about sitting there with all your boils, all your sores. You know, you're really in the pit oh, of despair. I don't despair. want to be that one. No, <laughs> no. But I mean, being in the pit of despair, literally. Yes. I mean, you yes. only have to read yeah, Job and know sure. about that. And then suddenly the lights go out. Mm. You know, and sitting there in the darkness. Yeah. Well, I don't think okay. that would be very pleasant mm. at all, would it? Mm. It won't. <laughs> Okay, I've been reminded that our time is running out quickly and we still have a few things to cover. The sixth bowl talks about the Euphrates being dried up. I think we can safely say that whilst the first plagues that we looked at were and or are in fact literal, this one is not literal because those of us who have been to that part of the world realise drying the Euphrates up is going to have little or no effect. It would be the equivalent of uh, drying up the Darling River, which at the moment is dry anyway, with virtually no water in it at all. It is a drying up of support for Babylon. That's what it is. It's a drying up of support. Helen? Yeah, that's today, but it did dry up once, didn't it? Yes, it did. With um, Cyrus. Mm. It did. Uh, there is an illusion. It was, di- yeah, it was diverted, yeah. interesting enough. Yeah. Which dried up a bit. <laughs> yes, that's Yes, true. I wished we had time to look yeah. at uh, Jeremiah chapter 50 because it's found in there where God, a hundred years before Cyrus was born, stated that the water would be dried up. Mm-hmm. What Cyrus did in order to capture Babylon is his engineers diverted the river Euphrates into a man-made lake and then they marched in under the river gates, but they still wouldn't have got in had the river gates been closed, but the guards were drunk and the river gates were left open. They were able to go in quickly, uh, kill the king, uh, Belshazzar at the time, and uh, take over. Now here you find that the support for latter-day Babylon is dried up, and we have one key text. Len, did you have a comment? Well, I wasn't going to get that key text yet, but um, (laughs) I see it a bit like this. You know, the Spirit of God is at work in the world right now. Mm. And I hope, listeners, he's at work in your life. Yes. But I see this happening. This is the time where God says, well, things will remain as they are. There will be no more changes. There's no more Spirit of God leading people to accept Christ, to accept the life of righteousness. The verse goes on to say about how these unclean spirits, like frogs, came out of the mouth of the dragon, dragon, out of the mouth Mm. of the beast, out Mm -hmm. of the mouth of false prophets, and they were doing all this thing. They are not even interested in doing things that are good. It is evil will go unchecked. Okay, so uh, I think... uh, Listeners, we are coming to a text, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 16. Ken, would you like to read that one for us, please? And then we will quickly start to summarise because there are some important things here that we haven't really got to. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Now, we know that in the Bible a woman represents a church, correct? Mm, yes. This is a, an apostate church. It's a combination of all of the apostate churches and religions. And it says here that there's going to come a time where the people of the world, the governments of the world, are going to withdraw their support. They're going to do more than simply withdraw it. It suggests that it's much more than that, doesn't it? Yes, it suggests that they will hate her and uh, eat her flesh, which is obviously speaking spiritually, but they will burn her with fire. Now, here you have a very, very 
a very, very um, strong statement, I guess, because from there, Len touched on earlier on, three frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. The sole purpose of these frogs is to deceive the nations of the world. And it leads to what we call today the Battle of Armageddon. And in the time that we've got <laughs> available, who would like to comment on the Battle of Armageddon? Will, did you have a comment that you would like to share with us? Oh, this is dangerous territory because <laughs> there are various uh, many, concepts. Many, many interpretations. Um, I believe it's not a physical battle. Um, the world seems to have their attention on the Middle East and uh, giving support, uh, financial support and moral support to Israel and uh, any allies there, uh, believing that uh, the whole worldwide conflict is going to be leading to a, a physical battle in the valley of uh, Megiddo. Megiddo. I think uh, the time is against us, but this is really a spiritual battle, talking about, uh, about the struggles of God against evil and uh, those that are siding with Satan and those that are not. And mm. The great choice that ultimately everyone will face, mm. where to stand. Thank you, Will. Len, you I agree very much with Will. <coughs> I don't see it as being a physical battle because the plain of Megiddo is not really big enough for the numbers involved. Mm. Mm. However, I do see it as the final showdown. Yes. Mm. The mm. final showdown between good and evil. Mm. And who will be successful? Ah, I'm on that side. God's it says the lamb will overcome them, doesn't it? Because he is king of kings and lord of lords. Now, the plain of Megiddo, I've been there. And uh, I said to my wife when it was pointed out to us by the tourist guide that this is uh, where the last battle in the world will be fought, I looked at it and thought, I wish you luck, guys, <laughs> trying to jam everybody, all the nations of the world, into this little plain. <laughs> um, are there any closing comments that we could make in regard to this? I believe God is appealing here still he's still even though the plagues are falling we are still in the probationary time are we not where we can make decisions to follow the lord he doesn't want us to receive of the seven last plagues len did you have a yes i would like to refer back to verse 5 mm. of chapter 16 where the angel in charge of the water said you are just in these judgments mm. god is a god of love even in God's judgment, he cannot do anything but love. Yes. And so sometimes when these bad things come, like are coming, as we've been talking about today, God's not doing it out of a f feeling of vindictiveness it's or not something arbitrary. like that. Mm -hmm. He's doing it because it's just. Yes, yes. And that's important. Mm. Mm. Justice must be served. Mm. Will. Can I comment that uh, there are many of our listeners, as we have uh, or sometimes experienced, that feel perplexed and troubled about events that are lying ahead. We know that it is right to be on God's side, but we try to understand the future. I tell you that um, there are a lot of things that we do not know about the future that are not revealed. But I want to appeal to everyone, as I appeal to myself, um, to put our lives on the side of the, of the Lord yes. and uh, let him lead us through whatever lies ahead, because in that only is our safety. Mm. And I'd just like to also close with some um, 
uh, thoughts. As Jesus was uh, speaking to Israel and even acknowledged that he came to his people and they received him not, he was willing to see them turning back to him. And we see in the unfolding of, of this Uh, seven last plagues that God is starting with the apostate church if you like moving on towards the the seat of the beast and after that dealing with the dragon itself which they made their own mind you know but it now right now it's a chance for everyone to make right with God that's why the this wonderful book of revelation it's so full of um, the grace of God for each one of us today. Mm-hmm. May I just appeal to our listeners with all the earnestness and all the gentleness and love that I can. God is calling you, I believe, today to make a decision to follow him and he is calling it on the basis of worship mm-hmm. and he wants you to worship him as the creator and the sign of his creatorship is the Sabbath. Can I appeal to you to start thinking seriously and praying seriously about asking the Lord to show you how he would have you to keep his Sabbath holy? Loving Father in heaven, we know that the troops and the soldiers have nothing to worry about if the commander knows the strategy, knows the future, and knows the plan of battle. We want to ally ourselves with the great armies of heaven And we pray, Lord, that you will lead us to victory as individuals, as a church, and if possible, as families and nations. Bless us, Father, and help that our trust should remain in you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm, amen. Thank you very much, uh, everyone, for your uh, input on this uh, Bible study. Till more to come, and uh, thank you for our listeners. May God bless you.